you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. It is Tapeheads draft season. Bob Oshusen, longtime radio voice of the Jets and, of course, ESPN College Football and Greg Cosell for the better part of four-plus decades, breaking down the All-22 at NFL Films, and he has done yeoman's work getting set for this draft that is now, Greg, in the rearview mirror. This is our last official episode of Tapeheads draft season because we have spent the last couple of months taking everyone up towards the draft, and you broke down prospect after prospect, and obviously... Very interesting to see how it all came together this past weekend. And now we have a chance to look in the rearview mirror for the first time. And again, we're not the mock draft podcast. We're not the podcast could go out there and now grade how your team did. We don't know, right? I mean, that's that's the tantalizing part of the draft. It takes two, three, and four years sometimes with these players for us to truly know what they are going to become. But I know there are guys that jumped out at you based on your tape evaluation, because that's how you judge these guys. You watch the tape the same way that the GMs, the coaches do, where you think teams got tremendous value later in the draft based on your evaluations. Let's start there. Give me a couple of players. I mean, maybe a handful that you really, when they came off the board, say after the first round, you said to yourself, oh, now that there's a guy that, uh, you know, based on my evaluation, that team got a really good player. I'm going to start, Bob, with the first pick in the second round, and that was Logan Hall going to Tampa, the Houston defensive lineman. And he was someone I didn't know a ton about when I started watching his tape, other than his name, of course. And I really, really liked his tape. Long, athletic, multi-positional, can play inside. That's probably where he'll play the most in the NFL. I thought as a three technique, he was the best three technique in this draft. 
He was drafted after, I think, by five or six picks, Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. I liked Logan Hall's tape more than I liked Devontae Wyatt. So he was one player whose tape I really liked. And when he went off the board with the first pick of the second round, I thought to me, and again, all we can do, as you as you sort of prefaced, is I can only go by my tape study, not by what others think or mock drafts. By my tape study, Logan Hall was a really strong prospect and I thought that uh, Tampa made a really good pick right there. How about a couple of the pass rushers that were a little bit later? Like a name that I know that you brought up. Obviously, Karloftis came off the board a little bit later. Yeah. But Arnold Ebikide, yes, that the Falcons got in the second round. I know that was a player that you kind of grouped with some of those top-end pass rushers you think is a really high ceiling. I do. I do. And the thing about Ebikide to me is he looks so much longer on film than his height, but he has really long arms. And the long arms give you leverage as a pass rusher. Because one of the things that's so important as a pass rusher is you need to be able to keep your lower body clean. You don't want your lower body tied up with the offensive tackle because then you can't move. So even though Ebiketti himself under 6'3", you'd love a pass rusher to be a tad taller in an ideal world, but because he has long arms, he is able to use that arm length to keep himself clean and use the explosive traits that he has. And Ebiketti would not have surprised me if he was a first-round pick, but he wasn't. He went with the 38th pick to the Falcons, and I think for a team that really is lacking pass rush, to me, that's a very, very good pick. Some other guys that, again, as I dove deeper into the second and the third round, very interested. We And we talked about this a lot going into the draft. Yeah. How would players coming off of, if not immediate, at some point in their recent history, big injuries, where would they go? And a job no, going to Baltimore as a pass rusher, you know, mid-second round. You had George Pickens oh, yes. out of Georgia wide receiver on your board as maybe the best wide receiver in this draft. Yes. And he lasted all the way into the latter part of the second round of Pittsburgh. So now that gives a young weapon to their brand-new quarterback. How about some of those guys? I'll give you two. We'll start with Pickens. Now, I know for a fact from talking to teams that some teams had Pickens as their number one wide receiver, uh, and I don't get into character and personality because I don't do that, but I know for a fact that that was a concern. But there was no concern about Pickens' talent. And in fact, the Steelers made two wide receiver picks with George Pickens and Calvin Austin out of Memphis. And I thought those were both outstanding picks. Pickens, to me, was the best overall wide receiver prospect. You can certainly say Jamison Williams has more juice without question. Uh, Jamison Williams is a game changer. Uh, Pickens, as an overall receiver, I thought he had the best traits. And then another pick that may have been surprising to some, uh, as we move back to the defense, is New Orleans with a 49th pick chose Alante Taylor from Tennessee, a player whose tape I loved. He's over six feet. He ran a sub 4-4-40. He played outside corner at Tennessee. I think he can do that in the league. I also think you can move him inside to play the slot. He's a player that whose tape I thought was really strong. He's physical. He's competitive. I've seen a lot of people in mock drafts say, well, he'll probably move to safety. I didn't see him that way at all. I thought, Bob, he had all the traits of an outside corner. And as I said, could play slot as well. And I think that New Orleans is looking for a corner opposite Lattimore, an outside corner. And I think he's going to get an opportunity there. The wide receivers. 
before I get to some other specific players, since you touched on not obvious, obviously Pickens and the fact that you had him rated so high and other teams did as well, but more wide-angle lens on the wide receivers. Not only were there nearly 30 wide receivers taken, but how top-heavy the draft was yes. again at the wide receiver position. And that juxtaposed with a year where, I mean, normally we see a lot of wide receivers in today's day and age taken high, right? Like that's not unusual in the NFL draft. But we have not seen that in combination with the huge name wide receiver trades that have been made. So you get Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown. These guys changing teams to theoretically address a big wide receiver need for other teams. And still close to 30 wide receivers were drafted and still they were flying off the board in the first and second round. Yeah, and I think that that Jamison Williams trade is really indicative of the way the wide receiver position apparently is seen by some, maybe not every team, but when you trade 20 picks up in the first round for a wide receiver, again, I can't remember every single draft, Bob, but I don't recall that being done for a wide receiver. Right. And it was very top-heavy with receivers, and I think there's a sense, and I know I've spoken about this before, but when I was at the scouting combine uh, this year, the mantra I heard from every single offensive coach was explosive plays, explosive plays. And I think that that played out with the draft, the idea that we need receivers to make explosive plays. And you look at what New England did. Now, I, I know that a lot of people didn't necessarily think about Tyquan Thornton from Baylor, a player you and I spoke about a number of weeks ago that I really, really liked. In some ways, I thought that he was similar to Chris Olave. Now, this is a vertical receiver, very smooth, ran a 4-2-8. There's not a lot of guys that run 4-2-8 40s, as we know. And he played with some physicality and competitiveness. And I think New England is obviously a team that's looking for explosiveness on the outside, as you know, being in the same division doing the Jets, New England has no explosiveness on the edge. And so they're looking for that. And to me, Tyquan Thornton was not a reach based on my tape study. So that's the only way I can judge it and evaluate it. But I thought that was a really strong pick given the kind of receiver he is. And a couple of other guys at wide receiver taken right in that area of the draft, because not only did Tyquan Thornton go 18th in the second round of the Patriots, two picks later, George Pickens just talked about him to the Steelers, but a couple of receivers right after that that are very different players from one another, yes, but could become very valuable weapons to their two respective teams. I know you loved Alec Pierce I do. from Cincinnati, and the Colts got him with the 21st pick to the second round, and then Sky Moore. You know, from Western Michigan to the Chiefs, I don't know if he can be the Tyreek Hill heir apparent, but I mean, obviously they think that put him on a team with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and that group scheming up for him, that he could be a really good NFL player. Well, I think with Sky Moore, look, Tyreek Hill is a little bit of a freak, so we don't want to say anybody is Tyreek Hill, but I think the Chiefs are looking at Sky Moore in terms of deployment. It's not the exact same player, but the deployment can be the same. And by that, I mean, line up slot outside. Jet sweeps, orbit reverses, those kinds of dimensions in your offense, Sky Moore can give you that. He's certainly not quite as explosive as Tyreek Hill because no one is, but it's the deployment. And then you hit on Alec Pierce, a player I was not the least bit surprised went in the second round. I watched his tape and I thought to myself, 
I don't see a big difference between Alec Pierce and Drake London. So I thought Alec Pierce was a really, really good pick by Indianapolis with the 53rd selection and a player, in my view, based on tape study, worthy of that spot in the draft. What about the running backs? The Jets getting Brees Hall. We talked about this a little bit with Charles yeah. Davis, who was awesome yesterday, by the way, in our in our second to last episode. But the fact that in this day and age, you can have a Brees Hall, a Kenneth Walker, guys that are that talented and a running back not going until the early parts of the second round. You know, and obviously Brees Hall showed an ability to catch the ball a lot at Iowa State. Kenneth Walker, not as much um, at Michigan State. But I have to think this is part of that projection. Right? Could you take a, a running back in today's day and age in the NFL without a belief that he can be a pass catcher? I think that's team and scheme specific, Bob, because I think Brees Hall, by the way, I think there is receiving traits to be unleashed and unlocked. We saw enough of it at Iowa State to know that he can be a factor as a receiver. But ultimately, I think you're drafting Brees Hall to be a volume runner. I don't think you're drafting Brees Hall to carry it nine times a game and split right. him out wide. I think you're drafting him to be a volume runner. And as you know, with the Jets, I think they now see Michael Carter, which is probably what he is, as more of that complimentary back because you can split him out and he's got those explosive traits as a receiver. I think when you talk about team and scheme specific, you look at Seattle drafting Kenneth Walker at 41. We know what Pete Carroll wants to do. Now they have Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker. They want to run the ball. That's what they want their offense to be. So they are looking for a back that can give them volume and carries. Um, I think a really fascinating pick to me, again, going back to team, is James Cook going in, I think, late in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, or was that very uh, early in the third? No, he was the 31st pick of the second round of the Bills, and I know you loved him. There you go. James Cook is not a volume back. Now, he's a terrific runner. He looks very much like his older brother Dalvin in his running style. But James Cook may be the best receiving back in this draft. And you can split him out wide, detach him from the formation. He can run all the conventional routes when he's offset in the backfield. But he can run vertical routes when he's split. And we know, as you well know, same division, we know what Buffalo does. It's a Josh Allen-based offense. They're not looking for a back to get 22 carries a week, but they do know they need a run game, and he can certainly give you that to some degree. Um, obviously, they still have Devin Singletary, but James Cook is a back that fits exactly what the Bills' offensive approach is, and I thought that was an outstanding pick. That's Greg Cosell. I'm Bob and Love scrolling through the draft looking for these guys that we spent so much time over the last couple of months talking about, especially the diamonds in the rough, and then seeing where they went and seeing which teams maybe got those diamonds in the rough. We're going to come back in a moment and not only talk about more of those players, but also spin it forward and talk about next year and talk about the guys that you know we think also might have gone undrafted that Greg still has on his radar where teams went out and after the draft was over, grabbed some players that, uh, that could be big contributors on their roster. It's amazing how often an undrafted free agent turns out to not only be a contributor, but sometimes even a star in the NFL. So all of that still to come on this final episode of Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 
37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you, something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. On this final episode of Tapehead's Draft Season, Bob Schusen and Greg Cosell back, looking back now at the 2022 NFL Draft and some of those diamonds in the rough players that in the, you know, after all the headline makers come off the board in the first round, if you're a real football junkie and you watched the draft all the way through the weekend, and certainly on day two, uh, some players that Greg Cosell, I know, had circled as he thinks having a very high ceiling uh, went to some very interesting spots. And Greg, we've been running through a few of those players. James Cook was a player we just talked about who went with pick number 31 right at the end of the second round, running back to the Buffalo Bills. The last pick of the second round, pick number 32, was Nick Benito, edge rusher from Oklahoma. Denver got their hands on him. Of course, you know, them moving on from their legendary pass rusher, they're looking for an heir apparent. Could he be that guy? You know, and it's funny, Bob, because I thought Nick Benito, and again, you know, I don't get into where guys get drafted necessarily because I know teams place different values on different players and reasonable people can disagree. But I thought Nick Benito, when you talk about edge rushers, I thought he was the loosest, liveliest, maybe the bendiest edge rusher in this draft class. Now, he came in at 248 at the Combine. He looked thinner to me when I watched Oklahoma's tape, and maybe he just has that kind of body type. They used him in multiple ways at Oklahoma. I think he's best served as an edge player, and maybe he's just a situational edge player, but we know that teams play in their sub-package defenses more than they play in their base. And I really liked Nick Benito's tape, and I think his game fits the NFL 
He is so fluid. He can bend. He's flexible. Just his transitions, his change of direction, it's seamless. Another guy that, I don't know if you put him on that same level, but another edge rusher that went middle of the third round, Alex Wright from UAB to the Browns. That was a guy that I know you had circled. Yeah, Alex Wright was the guy I watched later in the process. Smaller school guy from Alabama, Birmingham, 6'5", 270. I think that this guy, and again, now you're projecting, obviously, because there are some things when you watch his tape, you say, hey, that needs to improve. But of course, that's almost true of everybody. But it's certainly true once you get to third-round players. But he also showed flashes, Bob, where this guy looked to me like, with coaching, with experience, maybe he's not a factor year one. You never know that. But that this is a player, given his size and his length and his movement ability, um, he almost looks lean at 6'5", 270-plus, that could end up being a very good pass rusher. Now, the projection with players like this is a lot of these guys line up as well in positions that you probably won't see them in, in the NFL. For instance, Alec Wright, Alex Wright played a lot of snaps inside, not necessarily at D-tackle, but inside of the offensive tackle. So he wasn't always lining up as an edge player, and I would expect that he'd likely be an edge player in the NFL. A team that, and look, we don't give draft grades, right? Like, that's not what we have ever been about with this podcast. Certainly didn't do mock drafts, so we're not grading the draft after it's over. But a team that I saw a lot of people after the draft say, and it sounds crazy to say this considering who their coach, general manager, and overall right, right. <laughs> czar is, what were the Patriots doing? The Patriots are confusing me. I, I don't see their philosophy in this draft, but like you love Tyquan Thornton, who they got I in do. the second round. You like Marcus Jones, who they got in the third round, cornerback from Houston. So when you look at that Patriot draft class, it seems to make a little bit more sense to you than it did to other people. Well, it's funny because we spoke, obviously, to Charles Davis, and he spoke about Jalen Petrie, and he thought Jalen Petrie had similar traits as someone like Teran Matthew, or, or let's put it this way, that he could be used in a similar fashion. I looked at Marcus Jones, who they took in the third round with the 85th pick from the University of Houston. Now, at Houston, he played outside corner, slot corner, and safety. Now, at 5'8", He's not going to play outside corner in the NFL. But I saw Marcus Jones much like Teran Matthew as I projected him, even more so than a Jalen Petrie. Marcus Jones, I think, could be that kind of player. Keep in mind, Teran Matthew is 5'9". He's an explosive athlete, much more explosive than, let's say, Jalen Petrie. Marcus Jones is 5'8". That's not really a meaningful difference, 5'8 to 5'9". And Marcus Jones is an explosive athlete. And when I finished watching his tape, and I think I watched six full games, and as I said, he played outside, he played in the slot, and he played safety, the name that came to my mind was Teran Matthew. I thought he could be used in that fashion. And we know that Bill Belichick, when it comes to defensive players, is a bit of an outside-the-box thinker. Because think how he, he uses Adrian Phillips. Um, you know this from being in the same division. You know, players who seem to, to have roles that a lot of teams would say, well, he can't quite fit into a conventional role, but Bill Belichick finds a way to play to players' strengths. And Marcus Jones, to me, will play for New England, and I'm fascinated to see how he's deployed. You know, it, I remember talking with Phil Savage about this. Of course, ran the Senior Bowl yep. for a long time, uh, general manager in the NFL. Now he's kind of a quote-unquote consultant or pro personnel guy with the Jets, but he is really in the ear of Joe Douglas, and he has been a big part of the Jets' evaluation process. 
And he's told me that the mistake that a lot of people make when they look at how we analyze the draft as it goes, again, is they've got that big mock board. Right. Right. And such and such team took a guy in the second round, but we had a late second round or third round grade on him. And to not think about it in terms of each individual pick as they come off the board, that guy in a silo talent wise, but that you're drafting a team. Right. How do these pieces fit together? How do these pieces fit what your team needs, what your coaching staff wants, what your scheme calls for? And not just what's already on your team, but then the thought process of like the guys you've already drafted, the guys you think you're going to draft a little bit later. And and you start to think about that either from the Patriots standpoint or any other team standpoint, the philosophy behind some of these teams and how they draft when you look at the final product, not as you go where this guy falls on my mock draft or where he's in my top 300 or whatever, but how those pieces fit together. And philosophically how it's put together. I mean, it, it is a different lens to look at a team's draft strategy through. It's a great point. And I know that we've seen all through the years. I remember when Scott Pioli was with the Patriots, the, the line that was often used about the Patriots was, we're building a team, not a collection of individuals. And I, that sounds like a very cliched statement, but you kind of delved into it a little more. And I think what teams are trying to do, and maybe sometimes people forget this, is teams are drafting through the lens of their team, not through the lens of the whole league. Okay. Now they're, they're aware of the league, obviously, as we know from when we had Rick Spielman on and Mike Tannenbaum, we know that everybody tries to be aware and is aware of what everybody else is doing, but any team they're trying to get better for their team. So if their team feels they have a weakness at a given position, and maybe that position is dime safety, but it's an important position for that team because they play it a lot, they're trying to get better at dime safety. So that's the way teams approach the draft. And particularly as you start moving into second, third, fourth, fifth round, where obviously the players' traits are not as good as players you have rated in the first or second round. So, you know, I think people lose sight of that. They think, oh, well, they didn't address that position. Well, they address the positions they feel they need to address to improve their team. Was there a team or two or a guy or two looking through that lens that you liked as you were watching the draft and you saw how teams were approaching it philosophically that maybe I haven't touched on? Um, was there a team or two that jumped out at you where after it was over, you said, okay, I, like I can see what they did. People might've been confused about the first and second round, but let's look at their class as a whole. I can see where they were going philosophically with how they approached this. I think Seattle's a good example of that. And I think maybe a lot of Seattle fans are very unhappy that they didn't draft a quarterback. Uh, but I think they have a philosophy that I think played out in the draft. Now, many could argue that the philosophy doesn't matter because Drew Locke's going to be the starting quarterback. And we'll have to wait and see on that and where it goes. But I think you can say whatever you want about Seattle. They have a belief in how they want to play. And this draft just played into that belief. Because I know when they got to the second round and they had those back-to-back -back picks and everybody was, I think, probably expecting a quarterback at picks 40 and 41, Bob, you know, because it seemed like, hey, after Pickett, that's where you take the next quarterback. You know, when they took the defensive end and they took the running back, and then the next pick, I believe, was an offensive tackle, Abraham Lucas from uh, Washington State. They told you in this draft how they want to play. That can be debated, 
And people can say, well, it doesn't matter, as I said, because Drew Locke's the quarterback, but they have a belief. They have a philosophy that permeates the organization. And it's probably very clear to everyone in the organization, this is how we're going to play. There will be no gray areas there. When we look now, not only at all the players that were drafted, before we wrap this up, but I heard Mike Tannenbaum say this the other day, so I want to give him credit for it. I may not be getting this exactly right, but the spirit of it will be right. He talked about where pro bowlers come from. And the biggest volume of pro bowlers, of course, come from the first and second round of the draft, as you would expect. I mean, you're missing sometimes on first and second rounders, but the players with the highest end of talent, generally speaking, are going to go in the first and second round. That's where the biggest pool comes from. I think the next biggest pool historically of pro bowlers, believe it or not, is undrafted free agents, guys that never even get picked but are very high on a team's radar. And one of the craziest times of draft season, people probably don't realize this, right after the draft is over, teams are furiously on the phone to every player that they had on their board that didn't get drafted that they think is a diamond in the rough, and you'll see a team will bring in a dozen guys that didn't get drafted to try and make their team. So were there a handful of players out there that didn't get drafted that that you think, oh, you know, that team went out there and, and maybe grabbed a couple of guys that could help them? That's always the case, and I try to follow those names. You know, maybe because I'm in the Philadelphia area, I saw the Eagles, which is a team that needs a corner, an outside corner opposite uh, Darius Slay, who's obviously probably a top five corner in the league. And they did not draft a corner. And then in free agents that they picked up, they picked up Josh Job from the University of Alabama, and they picked up Mario Goodrich from Clemson. And those were two players who I did evaluate. And while there were concerns, obviously, or they would have been drafted, but I thought they were eminently draftable, Bob. I think that one or both of those players could make the team and could legitimately have a chance to play opposite Darius Slay. Now, maybe I'll be dead wrong because obviously they weren't drafted. So somewhere along the line, teams in the NFL thought something was missing to the point that they were not worthy of being drafted. But I thought they were worthy of being drafted. And there's a lot of players like that. I forget who signed this player, but I thought there was a, um, a linebacker from Wisconsin named Jack Sanborn who Again, I understand why he wasn't drafted because he's not a high, high level athlete, but he's a stacked backer and his tape was very, very good. And I thought he was, again, worthy of being drafted. And he's he would have to be a base defense stacked backer. I understand that based on his tape, but I really thought that his tape was very good for what he is. And I was surprised he wasn't drafted. As we talked about with Charles Davis on yesterday's episode, you are like the definition of unwell, right? <laughs> like you're just, you're, you're literally a football lunatic. I am. When, do, when does the process start for the 2023 draft? For well, you? What, what, have you already, have you already started to put a board together of the prospects for that those, you like? For those who know I'm crazy, <laughs> this will come as no surprise, Bob, but what will yeah. happen is this. I will, I get five weeks vacation here at NFL Films. And since I'm not going anywhere this summer, what will happen in those five weeks is I will actually come into the office. Now, I may not get in at 530 like I do now, but I will come into the office and I will jump back and forth between watching college players who will be in next year's draft, who are obviously going to be in the draft, not guys who might be, but guys who have to be. 
And I will then also do that. And I will also look at specific situational football for NFL teams to get ready for the NFL season. So I will do both of that in the five weeks of vacation that I actually have this summer. Who else would spend their vacation any other way, right? I mean, is there another way to spend your vacation, Bob? I didn't know that. No, just watch more tape. Yeah, I didn't know there was another way to vacation. vacation. Hey, real quick, before we say goodbye, prognosticating towards next year. If my team needs a quarterback next year, are we going to be back next year, you think, to one of those drafts where all we're going to talk about are the quarterbacks at the top of the first round again? I would think. um, My guess is you're going to be talking about C.J. Stroud. Um, I get Bryce Young will be in that conversation for sure. And then one name to throw out, and I think if he has a really good season, he'll be in that conversation, and that's Will Levis from the University of Kentucky. And I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but those are the three that immediately jumped to my mind. All right, well, based on your tape study and your use of vacation, we might as well start doing this podcast again in like August, right? And take you right up until April and next year's draft because might as well take advantage of the fact that you're unwell. Sure, you know, we could start like mid-July. I'll be ready to go. <laughs> That's Greg Cosell. I'm Bob and Greg, this was a blast. I had a great time, you know, leading up to the draft and talking football with you was awesome. Bob, I really loved it. Thanks so much. That is Greg Cosell. I'm Bob Wachusen. Thank you so much for rating and subscribing and listening all the way through. Hope you enjoyed it and hope you were able to look a little bit smarter as a football nerd to your friends during the draft from the information that Greg Cosell gave you. And we will talk to you down the road on Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.